Hey there, film fans. I'm Jeff. I'm Dave. And I'm John. And welcome back to The Love of Cinema, a pod in which we'll challenge one another to discuss movies, both new and old, with a strictly positive critical eye. That's right. And to avoid any lazy negativity, we are making this a drinking game. A it's what? a drinking game. <laughs> yeah. To avoid negative criticism, anytime somebody says something negative or stupid about a film, <laughs> we're going to make that person drink and drink, drink. often. They're going to hear this lovely sound, <clears throat> which Ooh. means we're drinking. It means you at home listening along. You could drink along with us and see just how it is we get through a full episode of one of these things. <laughs> <laughs> so pour yourself a glass or six, join us and give it up Ooh. for the films we love and perhaps the films that need some love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Well, we are going to be looking at three films specifically from the film year 1955, which was chosen by our random year generator in the age of COVID-19. Love in the age of... COVID-19. Aren't we all? But first... <laughs> no, we're all. not. <laughs> <laughs> Let's head it over to John for some quick shout-outs. Shout-outs, as always. We want to give it up for our beer sponsor. I don't think you guys have picked up his beers yet. You need we to have hit not. him up. His name is Carlos Barroso. Go get those beers, you guys. Drink them up. You can I, give him a I'd follow have to go, on I'd Instagram. have to go on the subway. <laughs> I know. It, it's so dangerous. Yeah, you're right. It's not, not yet, Carlos, but one day very soon, and they're going to tell me how delicious they are. His name is Carlos Barroso. You can find him on Instagram. The handle is cbarrosobar2019. That is C-B-A-R-R-O-Z-O-B-A-R-2019. And as always, the music you hear on this episode and every single motherfucking episode is provided by the artist Dasein. That's Dasein, D-A-S-E-I-N. You can find all the music for free downloads on soundcloud.com forward slash Dasein dash artist. Jeff, I forgot to get a beer. I'm going to get a beer while you talk to us. <laughs> you son of a back. jerk. Wow. You son of a jerk. It's, what the what's hell? your first day? He doesn't know the rules. Oh my gosh. It's like his it's, first day. It's like oh walking my out on stage without your microphone. And Carlos, just so you know, I just bought an SUV. So all those beers, I uh, I have space for them. Don't you worry. All right. I'm going to take them. I'm going to go right to Dave's. I'm going to drop off a very small amount of them. And then I'm going to take the rest with me. And I cannot wait. Oh my gosh, people. We are going to talk about the year 1955 in film, which has a couple very notable films. Very, very notable films that you've heard of, one of which you probably noticed in the episode title. Uh, but first, we are going to do our usual send it around the horn for a very quick round of what you've been watching and perhaps any news you'd like to share. Why don't we start with Dave? Sure. Um, I finally caved and it came out and I watched uh, Enola Holmes. I was oh so close. How how was it? I, I was so close to watching it. Last it night. is just quirky fourth wall okay. breaking fun. Yeah, like cool. she's talking to the camera a lot of the way through it. There's some there's some great little asides. I feel like uh, she's sidestepped into a semi action hero role, just wow. with ease. Like this is eleven. You're talking about you're talking about eleven. Millie right? Millie Bobby Brown. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, and uh, and I've been uh, heading through second season of Twelve Monkeys this week as well. Oh, cool. It's starting to get a little confusing. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Any news? Because you depressed right. us last week when you mentioned Regal was shutting down. <laughs> um, well, I've, I'm, inversely to that, I got a survey in the email. You probably got it as well from AMC. Um, and they're basically, oh, yeah. it was what would make you come and see this movie and that movie. And <laughs> oh, it, was, it was all the options that they're considering, like, you know, $5 movies for a new release or... Yeah. Free popcorn. Everybody, see- let's go on and say, would you say free porn? Would you say? Let's 
No, I said, Everybody oh, fill out $5 tickets. We'll go back. Go ahead. Let's do it. Yeah. And the other one was like, yeah, I think it was like C2 movies, see a third one free. Um, no, so, $5 uh, movie sounds okay, better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, who knows? Maybe AMC is considering some alternate options. Not that that's going to help them in New York because still wow. boards on the door. Huh. All right. Wow. Well, John, what about you? I, uh, I was pretty inspired with Martin Scorsese last week. So I watched Goodfellas, which I, I don't think I've seen that in like at least five or six or seven years. It was, it was a long time since I watched that one. Best opening line in movies, do you think? For as long as I can I mean, remember, I wanted to be a gangster. Super fucking captivating with, with the music coming in right after and everything. I mean, yeah. yeah. I use that line and I play trivia every week with a group of friends. And I, I like doing audio rounds with famous movie lines. And everyone knew that one. So you might be right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> kept going with the gangster thing. At some point this week, I watched American Gangster. Yeah. Really Scott, Denzel. That was pretty fun. And then I switched over to horror and I watched... Uh, I think this is your favorite horror movie, Jeff. I watched The Omen, which I had not seen since I was a child. Um, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. It was pretty cool. Is I couldn't help but thinking about The Exorcist, too. I think The Exorcist is a more mature film, but I think there's more thrills, if you will, throughout The Omen. Definitely. Just as we discussed, The Dude, Exorcist given the content you're indulged, Given the content minutes. you're indulging in, no one should knock on your fucking door for a while. Yeah. Like, John's in yeah, a house gangster by films right and now. horror movies. Like, <laughs> yeah, um, that is uh, that is how it how it's going down. <laughs> ridiculous. Um, American Gangster takes place on a street corner that I lived on in New York City. Literally, he like shoots a guy in the head, and they look up, and it's like one sixteenth and eighth. And I was like, I'm there now. Yeah, <laughs> I'm literally there now. Um, that was fun. So anyway, I I did not watch a ton. I watched um, Zodiac was the one movie that I watched not on our Ooh. list. I'd seen it before, and I, I've heard other people that I like say they really love it, and you need to give it another look because it's an information movie, right? It's a puzzle piece, so it's like, mm. but the way the way they they the way they lay the puzzle out is really unique. It really is, considering there are tons of movies that are similar in genre, but just have, don't feel like that at all. It feels very different. So kudos. Um, did you like his um did you think the pacing was it was too long for you just in general or did you did you enjoy it were you captivated uh, i mean it, it wasn't short but I, I was captivated the whole time and it, yeah. it's every now and then i almost wanted to zone out when they did they do these like three minute sequences where they give you so much information so fast <laughs> um but i think he does it in a really good compelling way and then you get a breath afterwards every time so Anyway, yeah. really, really good the stuff, murder. Zodiac. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. I watched um, Sound Explosion is on Netflix, and I thought I was curious, so I watched a couple of them. It's just like how people made sounds, documentary style. Nothing too special mm. that I would... And then I, I accidentally watched a, a reenactment show that was silly. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. So we're going to talk about 1955. So 1955, there's no way, unless you guys look this up, you could possibly know the highest grossing film of 1955. Uh, definitely not. Nope. Unless I figured it would be Seven Year Itch or Rebel Without a Cause, honestly. Um, neither are in the top ten. Yeah, number Guys one. And Dolls. Guys and Dolls is number five. Oh, so, wow, tell us. N- number one, <laughs> Cinerama Holiday, which apparently is a documentary style <laughs> travel movie. And I, I, I actually in the Wikipedia it doesn't even say who's in it. Well, well, who cares? So Cinema Holiday got $10 million at the box office in 1955, which I imagine is a lot of money. Uh, number two and number was that, three Was that are, them basically just touting their CinemaScope process that they just invented? Yes, that's yeah. exactly what it was. That, mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they decided to use it in documentary style. 
Um, number two, you have Mr. Roberts with Henry Fonda, James Cagney, William Powell, and Jack mm-hmm. Lemon. Good, good movie. You have Battle Cry, number three, Oklahoma. Number four, oh, wow. Guys and Dolls. Number play, five, Lady and the Tramp. Well. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah, Oklahoma, Guys and Dolls. Uh, I don't know. 2020. Lady and the Tramp, number six. Picnic, number seven. Not a Stranger, number eight. Seven Year Itch is tied for number nine with a whole bunch of other shit. Um, anyway, <laughs> let's... <laughs> Are you buzzing me? <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, because um, you called other movies shit. <laughs> Aha. Gotcha. Um, it's a big year for plays and musicals. Obviously, you have Guys and Dolls. Somehow... They got Marlon Brando to be in a musical just a few years after he decided to break out in the scene. He does Julius Caesar and Streetcar and um, and then he goes to Guys and Dolls. You got Picnic with um, William. Is that William Holden? Yeah. Um, you got To Catch a Thief. Huh? Yeah, there yeah. you go. John, yeah. little Hitchcock. Um, you've got um at the Oscars, you've got Jack Lemon's first Oscar. You've got Joe Van Fleet, you've got Natalie Wood, and of course, the one big movie, besides the one in the episode title that people will remember very well, is East of Eden. So really 1955. Uh, uh well, before we get into it too much, are there any other films that I missed out, or are there any that are like, oh, this is my I favorite 1955 film? I don't have yeah, a favorite 1955 film. Yeah. I'll cry tomorrow isn't like you know something you go back to. Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm not really a fan of '50s films. I found out. Um, <laughs> Marty Marty is supposed to be amazing. Did you mention that? No, I didn't actually. Patty, so Patty Chayefsky, the guy who wrote Network. This is right. his first Oscar win. I think it's supposed to be great. Uh, I haven't seen it though. Anyway, let's do it. Yeah. So um, this is the year of James Dean, right? So James Dean. Um, had been in a Broadway play in a TV movie, but then all of a sudden he goes East of Eden and Rebel Without a Cause in the same year, becomes a cultural icon. And I think he's actually in 1955 when he films Giant, which came out in 1956, mm-hmm. and dies in a very famous car crash because James Dean was nominated for an Oscar for East of Eden, not Rebel Without a Cause. And it was a posthumous nomination. James Dean is the only person to be nominated for two posthumous Oscars in two different years because he actually passed away before the first and then Giant came out after he had passed not to make his entire life and legacy about dying in a car crash but that is history it is true he got some money bought an expensive car drove too fast when he was 23 years old and died too young um but to segue into the films that we are going to be discussing so it is the year of James Dean we thought about East of Eden John seen it and read the book we decided we didn't want him to get too highbrow on our fucking drinking podcast. So we went with Rebel <laughs> Without a Cause. I would never do that. <laughs> which a lot of people, I had, the, I had the poster in college that said, I, I bombed last week when I mentioned the, the name of this, but it was Dream As If You Live Forever, Live As If You'll Die Today. Yeah. And that actually is not a quote from Rebel Without a Cause, although I was waiting for them to say it the whole time. It's just, I guess, a line that he had said. But a lot of times you use the fa- the iconic image of him in the white T-shirt and the red jacket that he wears in this film on the poster. Um, and also, culturally, we'll talk a little bit more about um, Rebel, but it's a film that aged well over the years as teens, especially in the post-World War II era, whose parents were literal war heroes, the quote-unquote greatest generation who came back, and the teens trying to live up to their legacy, basically. This was a a calling cry from culture that is similar to The Graduates um, or to... um, um, Easy Rider? 
Easy Rider, exactly. So that 1967 mm. year, this is basically like the precursor to that. 1955, that like half generation ahead felt similarly about Rebel Without a Cause. Very happy to look at it with you guys. I call it West Side Story Los Angeles. <laughs> That's Rebel yeah. Without a Cause. And then we're going to do, um, trying to think about what to do. We thought about To Catch a Thief, Hitchcock, but sometimes... We like to use this platform to introduce people to new great movies that there's no way you would ever come across if not listening to this. So you two <laughs> convinced me to do Les Diaboliques, which is a French film from 1955, which is really fucking good movie. Spoiler. So I really hope you give it a listen uh, because it's on Prime and we're going to talk about that second. And then our final film, if you know our podcast HBO Max. format. Oh, sorry. HBO Max. Our final film if you know our format, is usually a film that needs redeeming, whether it's from IMDb or Rotten Tomatoes that has um, poor critical reviews, but we think could use a second look. And we decided to put ourselves through The Bride of the Monster, which is an Ed Wood Jr. Yeah, movie. this is our first Ed Wood movie. I'm excited to talk about it. <laughs> if you've seen Johnny Depp's film Ed Wood from the 90s, directed by Tim Burton, winning Martin Landau an Oscar, that Ed Wood... <laughs> That guy, the worst Boris, director in history, supposedly. Yeah, like, with Boris Karloff of Dracula fame <laughs> in his second to last film. And I think this movie might have done it. This, this yeah, I think you should done. join this guy. <laughs> if you don't want to watch listeners, make sure you join. And I think we're going to have a lot of fun right. trying to redeem so, that movie. <laughs> so Rebel Without a Cause, Les Diaboliques, and then our redemption film, Was It Really That Bad? Bride of the Monster. Let's get into Rebel. I called it West Side Story Los Angeles. It's about a rebellious young man, James Dean, with a troubled past who comes to a new town finding friends and enemies. Now, we got to put new town in quotes because it is very obviously set in Los Angeles. So I don't know what kind of town that is, but I think it's one of the biggest cities in the fucking world. Um, A very, very famous planetarium scene, if you know the L.A. planetarium. Um, it's in La La Land, obviously, but that's a reference back to Rebel Without a Cause. Um, a knife fight, chicken with the, the car. If you've ever seen two people race a car towards a cliff, that comes from Rebel Without a Cause. So there are a lot of iconic moments, iconic moments in this film. But it's basically, as I said, about James Dean having a troubled relationship with his parents. He was troubled in his old school, gets kicked out of the school before we start here. He's starting at a new school and doesn't want any trouble, but he gets picked on and it leads into crazy situations. Who wants to go first? I'll leave it at that. Let me ask my usual question. Has everyone seen this movie before? And I think Jeffy already talked about it. Have, is, when was the last time we saw it? Most recent rewatch? D- Jeff, Dave, have you ever seen this? First time for me. And I also introduced a, uh, I bought the X's back uh this week uh but it's uh the x's (laughs) represent the inappropriate 50s shit meter Uh uh-huh so every time some inappropriate 50s yeah i noticed uh last week in stay hungry i noticed your x's the x's didn't make it to the stay hungry redemption (laughs) yeah i would have broken my fucking x key (laughs) (laughs) all right so hit us with it what did you what was your wait uh, let me ask a question too how popular is the police station the My movie goodness. opens at the police station and the Dude, whole fucking town is having a like, party there. I, and also, it's like it's, a... the whole building is the juvenile division building. Like, how fucking wild were the 50s? Yeah. What yeah. are the odds that all three of our stars get booked the same night <laughs> and, and mm. haven't even met each other for separate offenses? Hey, it worked I mean, in Ferris it's, Bueller. It's weird. That's how yeah, the movie I opens couldn't tell. Dave, start us off, but I do have some thoughts, but I think you're going to, I'm going to be able to roll with whatever was frustrating you. 
Oh, I wasn't if you frustrated, were frustrated, by the way. I couldn't tell if you were I frustrated. Was, I wasn't frustrated. Um, I was just, uh, yeah, it was just because we were doing the 50s and obviously, obviously they sneak some things in where the man's being the man and I just thought I'd make a record of it. Uh, it only got four. Four X's, this one, on the <laughs> well, inappropriate was, shit meter. Yeah. So I thought this one was interesting to talk about because of that, isn't it? Because of James Dean's struggle with, with masculinity. Mm. And what he thought, not yeah. James Dean, James Dean in real life, probably as well from the stuff that we've learned about him since his early passing, but his character in this, um, he's struggling with a father who in James Dean's character's eyes does not have the status in his household or in life. Yeah. And that James Dean's trying to figure out what his version of a man will be. And I thought it was really interesting because you see him with his dynamics with Natalie Wood and Salmoneo and he doesn't seem what I might think of as a 50s version of manly. He doesn't seem feminine either, but he doesn't. He seems very comfortable being in between. And I thought yeah. it was cool that they set him up against the father figure and the police officers as, some, as a young man who is having trouble not being more manly. So I thought it was really weird that this came out in the middle of the 50s when I'm sure, I don't know if they thought about it this way when they went in then, but... I know for me, coming at it as a contemporary audience member, I was kind of expecting to see some stuff like you're talking about. Like, okay, this is going to be a little weird and uncomfortable. And then this movie is very specifically commenting on that. Yeah. And how these young people, you're right, Jeff, I wonder if a lot of it has to do with that. Are these young people ever going to live up to what a lot of their fathers had to do, which was kill fucking Nazis in a war. <laughs> you know, right. I mean, this, this, this generation grew up like right after that. I know I personally have thought a lot about that. Like I used to often wonder, like, do my grandfathers, do they have less respect for me because I've never gone to war or are they happier that I've never had to do that before? Like, that, is that like a th sign of manhood or? I think that's the best part about that generation. If you want to call them the greatest generation, which obviously we know now had other things going on, including racism, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But they were heroes for the, yeah. And they did not want their next generation to go to war. Now, of course, when Vietnam comes up, they got tested and everybody caved, but they, they didn't talk about it. And the reason they didn't talk about it is because they didn't want their children to idolize violence the way that they, you know what I mean? Like I, my grandpa was I, I a vet so, yeah. and I had other family members that were vets and they, we had to beg them for information because they did not want that to be a part of society, if that made sense. Dave, what do you think, dude? Like, sorry if I cut you off, but like, no, no, it's fine. Were you were you marinating on that kind of stuff too, like the the masculinity issues, like man, inappropriate man stuff in the fifties movies? I, I I was a little bit. That's why I threw in the inappropriate fifties shit meter because I was expecting a lot of like yeah. toxic masculinity mm -hmm. stuff, and I was very surprised to come out the other end with only a four right. on this one. And it, it was. was it was it was self aware, but it was yeah. ex a little exploitative a couple times, yeah, for sure. Yeah, but not mm -hmm. not very much. Um, I did find the the beginning really just a little bit all over it bounces around and you're not really sure what it's going to be it wasn't until about pretty much about the knife fight at the uh observatory that i it settled down into a narrative for me and I, I actually started to get sucked into it before that it was just bouncing around it's like here's james dean doing this here's james dean doing that it it didn't the but the one thing that did get me was the fucking left turn in the police station what, like where they hit him yeah no no i wrote no, that down. No. yeah where they're interviewing uh the other kid uh, John. It's the first line. And it's like, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, uh, we're easing into the story, and suddenly, John, can you tell me why you killed those puppies? Yeah, out of oh, nowhere. Yeah. I was like, holy like, shit, I don't even know yeah. who John is. And the award for fucking left turns goes to 
yeah out of nowhere that that got my attention i was like okay there's gonna be something happen here like this is and it was a great it was was like the perfect perfect lead-in for that character it like immediately you're like what's going on there yeah i I mean the drama is is real right i think uh we have to say this out loud too just in case anyone is thinking about watching this i thought it was also poignant not because the thing i was making but what dave is saying right now all of these characters are extremely privileged and they are very yeah. angsty about their adolescence. They are, yeah. which I struggle mm-hmm. with sometimes. I, Je- Jeff, our co-host was in the touring musical, uh, Spring Awakening. And, you know, Never everyone knows that. that show. I struggle with some angsty <laughs> teen dramas. Like I-, I enjoy more when teens have trouble expressing their angst as opposed to living in a constant state of expression. So I've struggled with this movie in the past before. And I enjoyed rewatching it now because I thought it had a more, it had a different light on it for me right now because of where we are at with our, all the social context. Yeah. And I do think it, once you allow yourself to kind of accept that, like, this is very specifically about privileged teenagers dealing with the fact that they don't know how to, how to navigate, how they're feeling about, about being fine. I think that was the issue. I think they're all fucking fine. Probably not Salmoneo. Yeah. I think he actually had serious yeah, issues. He had but I think serious a lot of them issues. wanted... <laughs> wanted some kind of problem. I mean, James Dean's attraction to Sal Mineo's character was very interesting to me. Hmm. Like, that was his saving grace. It wasn't Natalie Wood. I felt like her almost their relationship was kind of shallow for me. It kind of happened too quickly. I was way more interested in why he felt such a need to to be Sal Mineo's friend. I don't know what, hmm. like what, he, what he was trying to fix within himself hmm. by... By extending like that part of himself to a character who clearly was crazier than him, and, and when he was so convinced that he was you, crazy, I thought that was read, interesting. Have you read the trivia where it's uh, there was originally uh, James Dean wanted a kiss between those two characters? Between which two characters? Uh-huh. I have because heard that between yeah. um, Salmoneo and James Dean, they were he they wanted. Let a, me just take a guess. Is it when that Salmoneo was saying goodnight to him the first time? Um, I'm not sure where it was, but like he was, he was pushing hard for it. Cause in the original book, apparently there's like a, overtones of hom- a homosexual relationship that self yeah. wants and mm-hmm. they couldn't do it because of the, the film code at the time. They weren't allowed to show, yeah. yeah, they weren't allowed to show any like homosexual <laughs> action at all on screen. That's one thing I will say that might be my only serious criticism other than a a general i do struggle with the angst thing and this is a very angsty movie so you kind of just have to accept that i I was kind of hoping and i remember feeling this way when i watched this in college or whatever and i was really thinking about acting and i was just watching james dean like thinking about the acting i remember then and i saw it now i think they did miss an opportunity probably because of code Mm -hmm. to to toll that line with a little bit more ambiguity of the homosexual thing, I thought it would have been so interesting if James Dean, who was clearly struggling with that masculinity, to have dealt with it sexually. Not to full-on fall in love with Salmoneo, but it became, I thought it was a little too clean how quickly him and Natalie Wood fell into each other when Salmoneo was such a huge piece of that triangle. So I kind of wish they would have rode that line a little bit more. Considering this play, this film takes place over 24 hours, she got over her boyfriend real fast. So I I want to ask you guys straight out. There's a scene when they sneak into this great mansion. It takes place over like the last quarter of the movie. And um, James Dean and Natalie Wood's character kind of disappear when Salmoneo falls asleep really quickly, which is kind of weird, but it happens. And they decide to go into a room by themselves and they immediately start confessing their love to each other. 
Did that work for you guys? Or did you think that was part of this angsty? We're just trying to feel good. We don't feel good. And this is the first time we've ever felt good. Like, what do you think that meant? I think this, that it put, was a little that, jarring for me. I thought it sucked and it put me off completely. Wow. That Sorry. was strong. Sorry. I had no it really did. No, it's, it bothered so, me too. Yeah, yeah, this is to, if you go ahead. If you're gonna do it, like take the time to set it up. Well, 1955. This is also the year, based on the films that we said up front, plays in America. I know I'm. The, I'm I keep being our like our theater representative here, even though you've all you all no, have experienced. This is a crazy year for plays, dude. This is in the 40s into the 50s. You have the big three in America, which is Tennessee Williams. Um, Eugene O'Neill and Arthur Miller are so they're they're celebrities. They're as big as any movie star in the world. You're talking about um, uh, a view from the bridge, the crucible, um, a long day's journey into night. A view from the bridge came out this year. Bus stop came out this Picnic year. Was in a movie this year. <laughs> Rose tattoos Tennessee Williams. Yeah. Um, plus you've got all of the ten- other Tennessee Williams. Um, Streetcar just came out, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So anyway, plays tend. To- to have everything happen live in such a way in order to get long scenes. It, it, it's weird to have like a 10 minute scene and then flash forward a couple months. And, and it's hard. Anyway, most plays are single set or one or two sets like in a house or and then, then they're in short periods of time because the audience, you, you get entranced and you witness everything happening quickly. But you're a part of the entire experience of these characters rather than skipping ahead and then having to make up information. I saw this movie, as I said before, about West Side Story, which is also a 24 hour story that's ridiculous that Tony says, maybe there's something, meets somebody, falls in love, has, I, I guess, consensual sex. And then within it, it wants to elope and she's 14. And it like, <laughs> and this is what we decide is like the romance. I mean, I mean, it goes back to Romeo and Juliet, the same thing. So Yes, I did think that was crazy, but to me, the forced daddy issues was more. But I, I at the same mm. time, I view this the way that I imagine most people would view this, which is they just understand that the movie has an agenda and they want to get that feeling across. And and it's a different kind of angst, to your point, John, before than something contemporary like Spring Awakening, like um, like a lot of the teen movies of the 90s and early 2000s and even the, the recent ones with like the crazy, you know, emo music and stuff. This is a different kind of angst. It still has class. The cinematography is still beautiful, but it's heightened in such a way that it's like, it takes you out of your seat as an audience member. It's almost unrelatable in, in a way that I think is, is majestic. And so I, I didn't mind it for that reason. Is that the, I, I totally, I know what you mean. Cause I kept trying to tell myself that like, this is still a movie that that is coming out in a period where they have that dreamlike, majestic quality. They just that movie is being made by studios. <laughs> Not Bride of the Monster, but most of them do. <laughs> <laughs> Not the B horror movies, but most most of the serious dramas do. And I can't decide. I can't decide if that is its inherent downfall. Good question. This movie, this movie is is super famous, and I understand from watching it why it resonated with people then. But it has never touched me the way I want it to. Mm-hmm. I've watched it three times now in my life, and I just don't think it's ever really landed yeah. for me. And I'm, I'm just not quite sure if I understand why. I, there are a lot of things that I think are interesting. I could probably talk about it easier and theories. pull some. <laughs> yeah, tell me what do you, what do you got? Um, well, first of all, I, I'd like to make the point that you can sum this movie up in one section, and it's when they're about they're setting up chicken, and he tells him what the rules of chicken are, and he, he asks him, "Do you do this all the time?" And the response is, what else are we going to do? What else are we going to do? Yeah. 
Like that That's sums good. up the mentality of all the kids right there and then. But I think the reason this this movie might not sit right with you is because you've got an entire cast performing at a level and then you've got James Dean going full fucking method and overacting every single thing that he does. I do think that, uh, and I'm going to, uh, I think this falls on Nicholas Ray, who is the director of this film. And he Whoa. most, he cut, he came of age in the thirties and forties and making mostly film noir. And he's excellent with noir. Um, in a Lonely Place is one of my favorite no more, uh, film noirs about Humphrey Bogart and a, cha- a disturbed screenwriter. And it's really wonderful. Alcoholism um, on dangerous ground, blah, blah, blah. I feel like this was one of his first major dramas that kind of fragmented the structure that he was used to. And he was working with James Dean, who no one had really worked with yet. And there weren't many actors who worked with that. The continuity in this movie is all over the place. The mm. editing is is very noticeable that... And I, I think that they were, we talk all the time on, on this podcast about how, especially when you get into the 70s and 80s, when we've really praised some directors who let actors and behavior lead the way that they would cover a scene. And I feel like they did not quite know how to do this yet. There were some very interesting camera choices. Yeah. But because James was leading most of the scenes he was in, I feel like it messed with the way they paced the coverage and sometimes I noticed that I was watching a movie, which you never want to notice it unless it's super fun and it's sexy, but you don't want to notice it and be like, oh, that kind of, I don't know if that worked. Or I feel like he's in a different scene than these other two actors. And I, I did, I agree with you, Dave. Yeah. I do think that is noticeable and you never want it to be noticeable. Also, I, I must admit, I can't hear anyone yell, you're tearing me apart ah, without snickering. Yeah, 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 Thanks yeah, yeah, to Tommy yeah. Wiseau. Of course. <laughs> of course. And, and now James Franco. That was yeah. all, of course, that's all I could think about. Let's talk really quickly. Again, I could not help but think about the social issue we're living in. Why are these cops like gentle therapists? Like, d- did that police officer yeah, yeah. ever exist? I mean, it's, almost, it's almost nice. The parents are fucking, all, all the parents are pretty nice and supportive. And there's, like they might have their issues, but I mean, none of them are like mm. really that terrible. The grandparents, they, not so much. The writer must have wanted this. The, the writer must have wanted this to be Picnic, which is just like a local town where all the cops know all the kids, etc. And then they just said it in fucking Los Angeles. <laughs> like, it doesn't make any sense. When people are having a knife fight and slashing tires at the observatory, which is literally overlooking the Pacific Ocean, it is prime real estate that's probably worth $700 million right now. And they're literally destroying this fucking property. They're stabbing each other. And these cops are like... They're they're basically like, hey, doctor, uh, I think these kids are uh, not getting along out here. What should we do? Yeah, I'm I'm gonna go ahead and say today they would whip some guns out and start shooting. So uh, maybe maybe they just I mean you're not who, wrong. Who knows? At the time, people probably didn't know the observatory. Maybe they pretended like this was a small town. I I don't know. I, I still stand for this movie. You guys obviously are picking up. Yes, it's not perfect, but I I still think it's, it's still, worth seeing. It's still an important movie. I think people should watch this movie. Yeah, it's, it's I think worth, it brings up a lot of issues. To say and he, he does have yeah, he does have cool charisma. So he, he, I said the the daddy issues thing and and the overacting to you, Dave, is is a hundred percent true. But at the same time, how many times can you call your family a zoo and yell at your dad? And and your dad's sitting there like, bro, I, I can't tell you. I can't just give you like bullshit contextual stuff. I, I don't know the family. The family thing just wasn't perfect for me. For me, it wasn't like it, it wasn't so much that he was overacting. It was that everyone else wasn't. And that's what made right. it really stand out. It's but then sometimes, sometimes yeah. he pulled it back, yeah. and he was fine. Yeah. 
and and the kids the kids didn't yeah. know what to do with him i mean dennis hopper's in there and there's a there's an anecdote i, I read a, i listened to an audiobook called um i forget it was all the bad boys it was hopper it was Brando, Jack Nicholson. I think a lot of them lived near each other on Mulholland Drive. Yeah, bad Boys, and they had, like, Mulholland Drive. Wood. They had like, they had let's just say they had wild like sex parties and stuff. It's true, a hundred percent true. Natalie Wood included because she was a child star too. Like they would just have like ten people over, champagne, jacuzzis, yada yada yada. But anyway, Dennis Hopper is a like a small role in this. And when he saw James Dean, he like went up to him and he was like, "Who the fuck are you? Like, what are you trying to do here?" Because James Dean was just clearly on his own plane. And so, you know, sometimes we like that, like Tiger Woods in a movie with um, um, Sergio Garcia, like Tiger might do some shit that might be whatever. You know what I mean? Like sometimes we just we want to see the person stand out. And yes, it's it's tough for the movie to keep up. A lot of the Brando movies in this time period, with the exception of the famous ones, a lot of them similar thing. They just they couldn't hang. They couldn't figure out the right percentage. They, They couldn't figure out the math. Of how do you let this guy just go, but also have a clear. Sometimes movie. it works uh, because people maybe were unexpected. Um, these, as Jeff said, these movies came out so close together. All three of his major feature films. Yeah. So he had done some television. He had done some movies of the a week. A lot of television, yeah. But he basically shot all these movies back to back, and then they came out in the, within two years of each other. And the difference between his performance in this. And, and not just what James Dean did, but the way they captured it, the way it's presented and the issues we're talking about versus what I think is a nearly perfect performance in Giant because of how he's he's captured in that movie. He's doing a lot of similar stuff, but it just works there. I don't know if George Stevens, who directed it, understood it. I don't know if Rock Hudson and Liz Taylor understood what they were working with in a different way, if there was more breathing room. But it wasn't. it's not distracting in that movie, the way it's a, a little distracting for me in this movie, mm. because I do agree with you, Dave. I don't think anyone is in the same world with him. And while I could understand Nicholas Ray and the producer saying, that's perfect, because this guy isn't in the same world as anybody else. It ended up being a little, it, I don't know, I'm, God, I feel like I'm broken record. It kind of played into that angsty thing for me. And I don't know if it serviced the story. I felt like I kept hitting yeah. that note over and over and over again. And I got it, it in just, the first scene because he's brilliant in the first scene. I got it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, the, the Brando screen tested for this, and this is after On the Waterfront. And he, technically, Brando was still, like, only around 30. <laughs> so I know in On the Waterfront, he looks 45. So the fact of he would be playing a, a teenager, clearly they, they went in the right direction <laughs> with the young person. But th- they wanted Reckless. And they got Reckless. And, and did the movie suffer a little bit for it? Yes. But it's also historically significant because mm. of it. You know what I mean? It's its greatest asset is yeah. its greatest it's, fault. It's important. I, still, I want to use that word because I think that is the only word I can come away with it. You yeah. might not love this movie, but you need to see this movie. It brought up mental illness in a way that had never been normalized before under yeah. code, like Dave was Sal talking Mignot about. Was not made uh, both of them are clear, All of three of them basically. are clearly struggling with it. Salmoneo is the most violent of them, but James Dean had hurt somebody before they moved to this town. So that was important <laughs> for the joking, though, for the method acting. I did want to laugh about this with you guys. That scene when he parks the car in the middle of the movie and Natalie Wood is outside waiting for him. This is in a little like backyard yeah. drive between their houses in this suburb. James Dean crawls all over every plant. Did you guys notice that? He's in the tree. <laughs> At one point, he's in the shrub. He's in the back yeah. of the car. He just turns mm-hmm. away from the camera. He's like every single place he's not supposed to be. And they clearly just mm-hmm. like, all right, James, freeze. And they just move the camera 
so that they can like cover him in this weird ass brush that he chose to swim around in. I don't know. It was killing me. It yeah. was just, I was like, wow, this guy is not trained the same way anyone else in this place is trained. It yeah. was so obvious. Or he'd pop some LSD uh, just before that and he loved the feel of the trees. So he was just doing the rounds. Well. It felt it, like that, honestly. Yeah. I feel like he's always touching, which is Stella Adler. Just to give a little shout out, she often, a lot yeah. of her work is dealt with tactile stuff. So Brando and James Dean, they're, they're often touching things. De Niro, they're holding crap, even out of frame. Like it was just so. You could see the work, yeah. but I don't think mm. people wanted to see the work then, but we could see it now and we could praise it. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So we should, we should wrap this up. If you want to see Natalie Wood yell at her dad because he won't kiss her on the mouth when she's 16, you should definitely see this movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> although, did you guys notice that it is subtle when that flag is going up? I don't know if it's McCarthyism stuff going on, but like the, there's a flag raising where they, where they, they stop to watch the flag and you can tell there's yeah, cynicism oh, in there. Sure. You can tell for there a second, it is not, for a second, I it is not the 40s anymore. <laughs> the flag oh, raises and they start right, the Dave. insignia really quickly. I don't think we can leave this really quickly without, we have to talk about Natalie Wood for just a couple of minutes. We didn't talk about her mm-hmm. at all. Okay. I don't think, what did you guys think about her character? I love Natalie Wood as an actor. I've, I'm very, Splendor in the Grass fucked me up when I, I saw that too young. Yeah, she's, she's great. She's they wonderful. Just, they overdid the daddy I, issues. Was it but... just that though? or did, I felt like the daddy issues, I thought that was more interesting to me though than what they did with her in the latter half of the movie when she was falling in love with James Dean. I thought they were going to do something different. I thought she was going to break at some I point. Never, I actually felt like she was falling in love with James Dean. I thought she was just falling in love with sensitivity because she wasn't getting that anywhere else. And she realized she was looking for people to behave a certain way. And like, she shouldn't try so hard. Like it's, it's out there and, and she'll find she just it. That, 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 in that scene uh, that we talked about that I don't really like, I did really like that line. I've been, I've been waiting for someone to love me. And now that I love someone else, I find it so easy. Like whatever it was. I thought that was a hmm. good line. Yeah. But, yeah. I, you know, I saw it. Also, West Side Story. Yes, West Side Story, yes. Dave, what did you think? Dave, what do you think? Did I mean, you like I, her character? I, I thought or? it was a, like, I, it was a, it was a bit of a coming of age for her because, like, it, I am, I can only imagine that is a, something that, like, young girls would have to deal with where they hit a certain age and, yeah. like, suddenly it's not okay for the dad to be giving them, a, a, like, a kiss on the, on the side of the mouth or something, like, because you would, do that to your kid like a, a young kid not even think about it but once that kid is 15 or 16 it's like that's a whole different thing in society's eyes mm-hmm. once the kid has boobs i don't know about kissing on the mouth um, i wanted more of her point of view anything that's, that's yeah that's, i mean that's I, fair I, but oh, I, I didn't I mean, have I feel, any I, of her point i feel of like view. it was a little bit of her journey of like her that that was where her, a lot of her ranks came from it's like trying to deal with um that suddenly going away mm-hmm. yeah yeah Anyway, right. I just thought we should mention it. I was, I wanted, I wanted, well, I wanted a little bit more of her point of view. Anyway, let's do it. As always, people go and get on the Facebook page and tell us what you think. If you think this is also on HBO Max, in right? A rewatch that. Yes, I believe so. Right? Uh, it, yeah, it's on yeah, HBO. This yeah, is on, on Max. HBO Max right now. For Give sure. It a watch. I def. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. HBO Max. Rebel had a cause. James Dean, nineteen fifty-five. Part of the James Dean trifecta. East of Eden. Rebel had a cause, and then 1956 is Giants. We need to go and refill. So, people, we will see you in a second with Les Diaboliques, a fantastic French murder mystery that you will love. Stick with us.
We're back. We're back, baby. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. We are back. Rebel without a cause. But <laughs> no, no, it's always almost like a get the hellscape out of me while you're shouting and we're back. <laughs> yeah, I still got you. Still got you. Okay, Lay Diabolique. Which, okay, so my sister in law is here right now. This is true with my brother. My brother and my sister in law are here. My sister in law speaks French fluently, has family oh. in France. Oh, cool. So I did not watch this with her, but I did get the exact definition of the title because, first of all, I was seeing Diabolique. And I was seeing Le Diabolique. And I was mm-hmm. like, I don't know which one it is. Um, and I Googled it. And anyway, long story short, it's either the devilish, but it has the inference that it's actually the devilish ones. So yes. it's kind of devilish. It's kind of the devilish ones. But I almost think that the word itself is a little open for interpretation, which I think is good for us three who have seen this film. Hmm. And even perhaps some of you who have not seen it. Very, very simple pitch. I'm not going to read IMDb because I'm sure it's terrible. The the um the description. The this is what the movie is about, and I think it's awesome. It's very short, if that helps. A a tortured wife who owns a very, very small boarding school for boys, which according to casting has about 15 boys in the entire school. Her husband is the headmaster of the school. And he is a little abusive, treats her poorly, and she can't fucking take it anymore. So her and the mistress of the school, who is her friend, decide to quote unquote get away for the weekend, which turns out to be an alibi for killing him in such a place and way and time where they cannot be implicated with the murder. And then things unfold as they will. So we see the action the incident, if you will. We see the justification for it, which is the domestic abuse. So we understand the motives going on. And then the majority of the movie is, are they going to be able to pull it off? And what are going to be the repercussions? And what is the downfall? And what happens when you actually try to put this into effect? It's a very compelling concept. I would say it's very high drama. So Dave mentioned before that Rebel Without a Cause, James Dean felt like he was sort of overacting in a movie on his own well above where everybody else was. In this movie, everybody is at a very similarly elevated plane of drama that is really fun for this mystery Mm. where you know what's happening and you know why, but you don't know what's going to happen next. You don't know if a feeling is going to change, a thought, a thing. It's very, very compelling. This is very much available. I watched it on Prime for sure, this movie. Yep, this is also on HBO. HBO and Prime. I think it's awesome. Who wants to go first from there? Would you describe this as huh? French Fargo? French Ooh. Fargo. <laughs> like they're, yeah, because they're, it had humor. Yeah, it had humor. Like they're plotting a crime and it just goes horribly wrong. And like there yeah. is a twist at the end and we're not going to talk about the twist. We're not going to talk about the twist. Um, because the film specifically asks you not to. Yeah, yeah, literally in the end, at the end of the movie, there is a postscript scene, uh, postscript uh, image that comes up that says, please, if you love this movie, then do not tell your friends. We thank you and we thank your friends. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I let's think play the, by the rules. They, the, they asked us. It, even on the poster, it was uh, the tag on the poster was see it, be amazed by it, but be quiet about it. Yeah. Ooh, that's good. Yeah. I like that. 
don't don't tell anyone what happens. Yeah, so we're not going to tell you what happens at it the is, end, but there is a twist, yeah. and yeah, I'll discuss something around that, but not without giving it away later. But uh, yeah, I I thought this was this is almost like a French Coen Brothers film, the way it like not if they made a thriller, as I guess because it's it's a similar context in that like there's a plot, the plot starts to unravel, you've got all these different characters with all the different agenda like i it really drew that parallel for me for uh fargo specifically i love yeah yeah oh yeah i love there are a couple lines and and i don't want to spoil too soon but just so you can get the idea of what dave means exactly by that because it's hard (laughs) because 1955 it has some noir elements of it because noir by the way is a french word and 1955 Mm -hmm. is sort of the tail end of the noir like international fad that made ronald reagan famous somehow anyway um (laughs) here's a great line are you ready so by the way this this woman is a part of a plot to kill her husband quote you're shivering quote i'm not cold i'm suffering what a weird line it's so (laughs) funny she's not shaking because she's cold and shivering she's shaking because she's suffering like it's just there's a lot of these like fucking zingers that come at you there's another little one where they say you look like a ruin and she says a little ruin who will get her revenge like there's just these fun <laughs> yeah. lines it's just They're, fucking fun uh, they like the the two things i love is they they know like french films across the board pretty much know how to write for character and they do dialogue really well mm-hmm. um and then when you get like an awesome all-round production on top of that. It really, yeah, really I think helps sell it. Yeah. And they're really good at stuff. No, 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 oh, no, no, no. Yeah, no, I'll shut up. There's like the really good at stuff. Like, you know that this murder is it they're gonna at least try to make it happen. Yeah. You know, that's that's in the epi- that's in the description. And so when it comes close, how it happens, like you're sitting there as the audience and you're like, okay, well, there's everything's leading up to this, and you see the potential murder weapon, and then there's like a 10-minute scene, or well, maybe not that long, but it's like they don't just do it, which again is also very Coen Brothers ask. It's very uh, um, Americans have learned this technique, but clearly the fact that this is historical is stunning because you you see the device, you see what <laughs> yeah. it's gonna be, and and they're not using it, and you're sitting there as the audience member, and it makes this scene gripping because you're like, I-, I can feel the the weapon, I feel it, I can see it, I want them to fucking touch it. And it's just, they keep circling it and brilliant, brilliant staging and brilliant blocking and the emotion and they're in an argument. And I'm like, can they just do this already? It's like, it's really fucking fun. Okay, I'll just stop yeah. um, John? I, I mean, I totally agree. I think this is a, what you said, Dave, about writing good dialogue for character. Again, we were talking about how a lot of cinema in this time period kind of gets away with writing uh, more dreamlike, cinematic, theatrical romantic dialogue if you will i guess romantic is probably the best style Mm. description and i think the reason it works in a movie that is very well made well directed versus something that still is technically in like a horror suspense thriller genre like the movie we'll talk about next is that there is a sincerity behind the camera to let these actors work within this genre so henry uh george george what's his name Henry George Clouseau, I had the privilege of seeing, I think, his best movie, which is The Wages of Fear, which came out the year before this uh, on the big screen in New York a few years ago. The master, he's just a master of suspense. And um, 
he was a writer first so like you can tell that like a you mm. could tell a screenwriter who grew up watching silent film and then made his career in the 30s 40s and 50s wrote a script like this but there is a maturity behind the camera and a patience like we often talk about to let these actors do their work the camera he doesn't do a whole lot with tone to get there that was what the thing that i noticed the most there wasn't tons of like sound design and stuff to affect tone he really did let the writing and the actors tell a lot of the story for him because as dave said there is something at the end of this that will wrap all this stuff up and kind of make you see it very differently. And we don't want to comment on that. So building to that, especially if I, I kept imagining myself being mm. someone. I mean, we can, we can go halfway, we can go halfway down the line. So basically they, they pull off the murder and they dump the body in the pool at the school. And then the the body's supposed to float the surface. There's all this angst about when's it going to do that, and they they play that really nicely for a good yeah. what fifteen uh, minutes. Like well, the pool's it's just disgusting, yeah. So it helps. And the body doesn't turn up, so they fake a way to drain the pool, and the body. Yeah. Gone. So there's like this mystery. So straight away, yeah. it's gone sideways. Yeah. And you're like, where's the body gone? Who's messing with them? What's going on? Nobody like nobody knows what's going so, on in the film. So yeah. So that's, I would imagine basically where we're and at. I kept telling myself this last night because I, I knew there was something about the there being a big twist and stuff. I didn't know there was that post credit thing. But I remember thinking to myself, like, all right, if I was like a French person in this time or and I was, you know, this movie came out and I saw it early and I was trying to tell my friends to go see it and stuff, and or maybe someone had told me to go see it. I think I, I never felt like I was being manipulated in this film, which I really respect. I, I felt like he had a patience and a respect yeah. for the audience and the actors to let that story unfold at its own pace. Yeah. And and it got there in such a way. And there, there were so many unique little twists at the very end and the way he plays out the suspense of the final sequence that it you, you never ever feel like you're being pimped into a twist where I, and I was trying to think of what American made movie contemporary movie has done that well. And Sixth Sense is probably the one that comes to mind just because it's still fun to rewatch and try to figure out when did I actually yeah. realize this was happening to me the second or third time or fourth time you watch it. You pick up all the breadcrumbs versus a lot of twisty movies like No Offense, The Scream franchise, which is a very successful horror movie franchise. I think it worked the first time because people really didn't know it was coming and it had such a pedestrian contemporary style that nobody really realized what the fuck they were trying to do ultimately. But any of the sequels... You know what they're trying to do to you. So I feel like there are some twisty movies that you can't help but feel like you are always just like being used. And I never felt that way about this one. I thought it was refreshing how, sure. how in line I was with the story. And I'm not going to lie, audience members. I guessed the outcome early on, but I didn't give a shit at all. It was just a guess. I didn't feel like I had to guess because I thought I was being, you know, Sometimes in Chris Nolan movies, I feel like that guy's like trying to mess with me and I like getting ahead of him and I like feel proud of myself if I know before maybe other people in the audience know. It didn't matter that I guessed it this early yeah. on because there was still so much honesty in every frame and the way he created this yeah. and the way he covered everything. I don't know. It was yeah. just it was very pedestrian. Mm -hmm. I was shocked by how small this story was. I also mentioned Scream in my notes, but for a slightly different reason, I said that um if anybody's seen Scream, it has a fantastic opening. The first Scream is Drew Barrymore. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. a cameo. Yeah. It's 15 minutes. And she starts getting phone calls from a, a stranger who it turns out is right outside her house. And he's looking at her and it's awesome. I wrote down 
so as Dave mentioned, they they do do the crime, but there's repercussions and there's fallout and it doesn't go as they planned and they think they're being fucked with possibly. And I wrote down, they're reacting to the phone ringing as if it's the killer in Scream. Because <laughs> they're because it's it's high drama. This yeah. is this is not. It, yes, in noir, there's overacting and such, but this is very realistic in they set it up that the the wife, even though she can't stand being tortured and abused, and this is the rest of her life, she's not a killer. So she needs help. So she calls in the mistress. And she is having a very hard time dealing with it. Um, they're, everybody in this is fantastic. They, are, they all play hmm. well off each other. And they don't... So, sometimes... Maybe John or Dave, you could you could relate to this or or comment on this. Sometimes as actors, you give in a little bit to the other person's choices. So if they say this is the way to go, you get on board. It's like the improv mentality, sure. But sometimes your characters are opposite. Somebody's type A and somebody's a little bit more weak and you know vulgar, and they need to just kind of be their own past in order to be an odd couple type situation. I think that like a crazy person, straight person. The fact that this, she's the one that's under the microscope the whole time, this wife, and we're watching her and any little thing happens and she behaves in a very real and honest way, but the circumstances and the stakes go very Tony Collette in Hereditary and she has to <laughs> react in such a way that's so 25 out of 10. Like It almost seems like she'll die out of shock. And that is a really fun thing as an audience, rather than just watching a dark drama. I'm so you know real fast. I mean? I'm so glad you said that, Jeff, because I think that is, I think you just nailed it for me, dude. It's it's not only what I was the point I was trying to make, but without giving anything away, it's very important what Jeff is saying that you never feel like the actors are manipulating each other, or or rather the characters are manipulating each other, and it ends up playing into the final twist. In a beautiful way right. that would yeah, not yeah, have yeah. succeeded if they failed at what Jeff was just describing. So I thought that is, that's, I'm so glad you said that, dude. That makes so much sense. That is, that is smart. That the crafting, like this is a genre yeah. film. I was talking to my brother the other day about this. Like technically, I, I still agree with what you guys are saying. I think it might be, it might have transcended a little bit beyond that, but it is technically a murder thriller. And there is a twist at the end and stuff. Like there are a lot of the elements and the ingredients of that formula. And yet, because of the way they presented it, they must have, you know, been on the same page about this stuff beforehand because I, I felt rehearsed, like it was right? seamless throughout. What's up? They had to have rehearsed, right? There's no way. I mean, I'm assuming back then nobody got paid anything any ever. So they just had unlimited <laughs> time because there's no way that these were just like one takes and you're done. The filming of this is really clever too. There's some really, really not clever in like a cheeky winky winky way. I mean, like as, as you are saying it's, it's, I don't want to just say brilliant. Cause I don't want to just keep throwing those kinds of words out, but it's clever in such a way that you look, this is the kind of film that you could watch it. And even though, as we said, it's very high drama and very high stakes, you could watch it and say, this is slow. But if you get through the whole min- movie, you finish it. Two days later, you're gonna think about it. Things are gonna things are gonna stay with you. I just realized this, guys. Is there any music in this movie? There is, yeah, but it's not a lot. It's, it's not, a, not lot, a lot, but there is some kind of horrifying movie. Yeah, yeah. I feel like it, well, yeah, there is. again, they didn't try to manipulate. Anyway, Dave, go for it. What were you gonna say? Um, I was just gonna point out that, like, in uh, the way that they structure this is very good. In that 
you're kind of as an audience member like you're let in on the plot very early they introduce the husband and his setup is amazing like first five minutes you're on board with trying to kill this guy because he's just the worst He's like he's like if the husband in Titanic started beating her in the first yeah. scene, just started it, hitting he's her. Like, he's like, like, okay, you're like, yeah, no, he let, let's let's go, and uh, but like you, Fuck you, you Billy Zane. Titanic yeah. was gonna come up in this, <laughs> Fuck right? You Billy Zane. Yeah, at least we have at least yeah. we haven't mentioned Tenet. Um, <laughs> Tenet. <laughs> we hit our quota. So like then you go you, like you go to the the house and you've got the upstairs neighbors who they they're trying to distract oh. and of course. Right. Like oh my god! That's so like so basically, you are kept on the edge of your seat because it's like he's they're in this weird relationship where the the wife and the the mistress are, ne- are negotiating together, and then it's like they're at the house and they're going to commit the crime, but they need to distract the neighbors. But the bathtub's making noise, and this guy's like writing letters and stuff, and it's like he's writing in the exact time yeah. the bath made noise, and then they go back like they're on their way back, and they've got the guy in you know like a cane box right. and a guy tries to get in the back of the car and there's water everywhere. And, and like, we, we actually paused the film at this point and had a discussion about how there's just too much shit has gone wrong for them to get away with this. Right. Like they like, we got sucked yeah. in completely to what was going on. Also with that, and it's, it's, there's just, like witnesses. It, and it's just right? like, once like, they get back and they finally which do, is, do the dump and it's, it's like, after that, then things keep turning up and it's, you're like, what's going on? It's like, it flips it on its head about a third of the way through. Like once the crime's committed, all of a sudden it's like, are they going to get caught? And then wait a minute, what's what's this extra thing? Because like weird things start happening, which is genius. Because again, without giving anything away, mm-hmm. uh, how to say this without giving anything away? That plays into maintaining a very particular and important point of view of one of the characters that will end up being the most important. Yes. And it was moments like that where I kept thinking the same thing, Dave. And I was like, why do I feel more uncomfortable than, than both of these characters are, are, should feel? And I don't feel like they both are sharing the weight of this uncomfortability. That's not a word. You know what I mean? Yeah. Discomfort. <laughs> it's audio format. It's I, uh, anything's a word if people understand what you format. mean. I thought the, uh, the Coen Brothers reference there, that was good. When you said that, I immediately thought of The Neighbors. There, mm. there was still room for some humor, some humor with the children, some definitely humor from the supporting teachers. Those two gentlemen were, were very, very funny yep. without being like slapstick funny. Like they just seemed like, again, it was so pedestrian. They seemed like teachers that would have worked at a school yeah. at like that level. The poor little kid that's constantly um, being sent to stay in the corner. That little boy. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. He just fucking shoots a slingshot perfect. into the window. Wait, we need to remind everybody. Sorry, John. Just, just for yeah. your visual representation. 80% of this movie takes place in a very old kind of creepy boarding school with a pool out, outside where the body was dumped. The, the body was dumped in the pool in front of this boarding school. Most of the boarding school take that. That is where the film is set. So if you want to picture, it's so easy to go back to a single set place. We talked about this with plays and yes, the crime happens in a hotel, but there's really only two major set pieces. There's a couple other excursions that go on elsewhere. You see a little bit, but like as far as, us going back and rethinking the movie, it's so easy to revisualize because it, it seems so simple. I, I remember the rooms. I remember what they were wearing. I remember yeah. the lighting. But like, also, also those rooms had such great art direction yeah. in them that every one of them had their own character. It's unbelievable. Horror and Guys, suspense well. can be done so differently on this movie and our next fucking movie. Like, it's so crazy. Guys, I remember. <laughs> I know. we. I can't wait to talk about that because it was a perfect juxtaposition for me. Uh, I, I In the break, audience members, 
I was talking to these dudes about like, guys, we can't reveal the twist. When did we say that recently? What movie were we talking about? I'm not sure if it's this one, but I am reminiscing now on our conversation about the devil's backbone. Also yeah. taking place at, a, at an orphanage. I, I thought that's similar because of the orphanage, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And similar uh, kind of quality of, I, I never felt like very patient, very sincere cinematic uh, cinematography and storytelling. Yeah. And then it earns a final sequence where they, they go in close and they, they find yeah. the suspense and they start using more horrific elements, but only because you can't take it anymore. And the character and you have finally lined up with your point of view and they did it so patiently that it revealed itself organically and emotionally as opposed to a horror movie. So honestly, IMDb, it's almost a little frustrating that I think it qualifies this. Let me look it up really quick just to be sure. What does it say as the, does it say drama slash horror? It says crime, drama, horror. I think they should take the horror away from it. I'm with you. Because it's not a horror movie. And I think it gets built on on HBO Max right now. And just in case anybody's wondering if they want to go have some fun, it's in the horror section. And I thought that was a little misleading because you shouldn't have that expectation for a movie like this. It's going to do something interesting that is not quite horror. Right. There are suspense elements and drama, but it's more about emotional weaving and lies. It's yeah. about deceit and desperation mm. and yeah. murder. I don't know. It's yeah. And the I, thing, I the thing that I, really the thing that I, I loved it. as well, like when you finally get to the end and there's the twist and then you get right to the Another. end and then there's just a single scene that makes you think was there a twist on the twist and then it fades to black yeah. we're done that's good it's like yes. it just leaves you a, just that little bit of guess right at the end yeah yeah which again ultimately is like it did not feel like a device to me because if you were on board throughout that yeah. point and you make it to the last line of the movie you start to realize oh, oh i understand how i'm supposed to feel about all of these characters now which yeah. is something. But for unique. me, it was I one. Mean, of, could, for me, it was one of those moments where you lean forward and go, "Oh shit, he just messed with my head." Like, and I, awesome. I threw my hand up. I was yeah, like, yeah. "Fuck yeah!" I was like, "I was like, <laughs> yes, dude, that is awesome." It, yeah. I, I literally gave a cheer by myself. I was like, "Yeah, all right, watch this movie." Well, yeah, yeah. Watch this. We we actually packed a decent amount of that conversation here without giving too much away. Really, really, we really, really highly recommend this movie. It's on HBO Max and it's on Amazon Prime for free. It's called Diabolique. I we it's just go watch it. It's fucking awesome. Watch the whole thing for all th- for all three of us. For all three of us, yeah. I, I actually I feel like we actually had such a even conversation going back and forth that we actually never got the gush because the second we would have gotten no. it, we passed it along. Good for us. My finger was on the trigger. Yeah, My for sure. Was on the I literally said I'm gonna stop gushing as you were like, no. What about our gimmick? Anyway, yeah. <laughs> friends, it's time for us to move on. We are aware that Halloween is coming up, and so we are going to be a little bit more Halloween-centric for next week, for this next week podcast. We'll see what year comes out, and we're going to hope that we can choose something a little, well, seasonal, we'll say. I don't know. If there's no Halloween movie, fine, but maybe something suspenseful, something (laughs) thrilling. But it is time for us to enter the Random Year Generator's bowels. I don't know. Go ahead, Dave. Let's see what happens. Oh, that's going to be uncomfortable. Oh, not quite. 2012. 2012. I'm sure there's a fucked up movie from 2012. People, we're going to talk about it. We got to pee and talk. (laughs) We will see you soon to talk about our... What's your takeaway? Our redemption (laughs) film, Bride of the Monster, 1955, Ed Wood Jr. We will see you soon, film fans. 
grab your drinks. Grab your beer. You're going to need it. are back yes we are back welcome back we just talked a lot about films from 2012 find out which ones we are going to do on next week's podcast and i will let you all know now all three films we've chosen are available on streaming platforms depending on whether or not you pay for the subscription fees but no rentals assuming you have good cable and otherwise packages let us move on our final film from 1955 in our redemption segment, or was it really that bad, is The Bride of the Monster. Now this in is, color. Now, now in color. color. This now is, in color. <laughs> this is very much available on Roku TV, which is where I saw it with commercials, which made the one hour and nine minute movie longer, but it's still great. <laughs> and <laughs> it is written and directed by Ed Wood Jr. Ed Wood Jr. It stars... Bella Lugosi, who is very famously the original Dracula from the 1931 Dracula. He also, along with Boris Karloff, really defined the Frankenstein movies. So Boris Karloff was the monster, and Bella Lugosi was in them, I guess, as the doctor. And then eventually he played the monster in like Frankenstein goes to the Ritz. I, I don't know. He, he like he eventually played the monster. <laughs> These movies are really strange back then. But what a resume! This is this is his. He is a very strange um, Austrian actor. Sure, Bela Lugosi, um, Romanian. Yeah, shit. We gotta look that up. So Bela Lugosi H- Hungary, is fucking creepy. Hungry, Hungarian, Austrian, Hungarian, Austrian, and Romanian. Okay, cool. Whatever. <laughs> okay. Yeah, he got around. Um, silent film star, definitely known for scary, creepy movies. So this is The Bride of the Monster. Here is the very, very short pitch on IMDb. A mad doctor attempts to create atomic supermen. I don't know. Hold on. Let's go to the longer description here. Rumors (laughs) abound about what may go on at Creepy Mansion just north of town. The house is owned by Boris Karloff, who is conducting experiments. Wait, no, hold on. I fucked that up. The house is owned by Bela Lugosi. (laughs) who is conducting experiments it's a a timeshare it's a timeshare god damn it the beer is really starting to hit me right now this is the point of our podcast we're an hour in it's hitting me god damn it no you're right okay hold on let me go back rumors (laughs) abound about what may be going on at a creepy mansion just out of town the house is owned by bella lugosi who is is conducting experiments to turn people into super beings through the use of atomic power reporter janet damn it janet Lawton decides to look into what is going there and its possible connection to men that have disappeared in the area when Bella Lugosi takes her prisoner. (laughs) He has definite plans for her. My short elevator pitch for this is this is definitely a movie that inspired Rocky Horror, but it wasn't funny. Well, it was funny. It's funny for us. They didn't think it was going to be funny. They thought it was going to be scary, but I found it hilarious, especially thinking the whole time, oh yeah, that reminds me of um, of Rocky Horror. Also, they keep talking about how these people are disappearing, as I mentioned so, so um, succinctly, this third try that I, I went through that description. 
there's a monster believed to be lurking in the woods who is capturing these men and killing them. And that monster is a fucking octopus. And that octopus is definitely a stuffed animal. <laughs> like it is the worst monster. Dude, the first the first time done. the first time that comes out, it took so long to kill that guy. That's some non-union well, octopus right there. Well, they definitely have like a 12-inch long octopus in a tank. And then they have a 40-foot octopus puppet. And for some reason, Ed Wood decides he wants to build suspense, similar to Diabolique, perhaps, where these men primarily are like wrestling with the octopus, but it's clearly not alive. So it, it, what you should do is the Steven Spielberg thing where you're like, shit, the shark doesn't work. I have an idea. Let's just not show the shark. Instead, they show maybe a combined six minutes of men rolling around with a stuffed animal fucking octopus. It is so fucking funny. So anyway, it's called The Bride of the Monster because very similar to Frankenstein, perhaps Bella Lugosi has this superhuman called Lugo or something that... <laughs> Is his lab Lodo. assistant Lodo, Lodo, who has a oh, I believe has a gill in his uh, but he's he's kind of in he, he's yeah, he's kind of Igor meets the monster. Where they become the yeah, same they character. really did combine them. That's exactly what I thought. And Bella Lugosi is the the mad um, doctor who can make people hypnotized by his long spooky fingers and his weird creepy Romanian eyes. He's definitely got the creep um, factor down. He definitely has the creep. Yeah, this guy has a career in being a creep. So anyway, it's a super weird, fun, just ridiculous 1955, I guess, horror movie played by the guy Johnny Depp eventually played in a movie. Who wants to go first? Who wants to take it? How did you have you not bust us yet, Dave? I don't know what you're doing over there. You go first. Dave, what what did you think first? Did you you see the beginning, like the opening credits where they, they credited the directors of photography? And I, I couldn't. I, I looked. Oh, I, I, I searched everywhere, and I could not find why there were two directors of photography on this. The only thing okay. I can think of is they're crediting whatever stock footage company they bought all the fucking stock footage they used in this film from. Yeah. 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 This is a movie. <laughs> it is still fun. I still. I still it's had fun. a decent time watching it. It was it's fun. Terrible, but it's fun. But this is a movie where, like, if you. Even if you have never seen a camera in real life, been on a film set in real life, or have any idea how a movie is made, you cannot help but notice the problems with the filmmaking. Like everything <laughs> that can go wrong goes wrong in this movie. As we were laughing about the the props and the the, the way they use this fucking octopus is is awful. <laughs> the continuity is all over the place. <laughs> The writing is terrible. But I mean, every. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. I hope we got two beers open there, John. Oh my God, I'm drunk. I just, I, I didn't, but, but I think the charm of this movie and why I think everybody found Ed Wood so endearing is that none of it bothered me. Yeah, like, same. I, well, I think I was more yeah. frustrated. I think I was a little more frustrated. Frustrated might not be the right word, but I think I found this movie a little bit more endearing than 13 Ghosts. Where I was like, what's happening in 13 Ghosts? They just didn't feel like they were in the same movie. I feel like everyone involved in this movie knew they were making one of the worst movies ever made. And they were like, as long as we keep it under an hour 10, I think we'll be okay. (laughs) I don't even know who was buzzing for that. Bella Gosey did this weird, like when he was watching somebody be fed to the monster. You know how in Austin Horror, when they do the laugh, 
Austin Horror. Austin Powers, when they do the laugh and mm-hmm. they have like cycles with like, ha 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 ha. <laughs> Bella Lugosi did that like eight times, but I think it was supposed to be unironic. He kept turning to Ludo and he was like, ha 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 ha. Look, that person's being eaten by an octopus. And then he turned back. I wonder if Bella Lugosi thought he was doing multiple takes, but it was actually the same take. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, usually, yes. like, I bet yeah. you thought they were going to take the favorite, the best one. Because he did the exact same gesture like six times in a row. It was really strange. That's what I'm saying. There's also, so many hmm. things like that. Also, there's uh, a there's there's an octopus and an alligator. So there's two different monsters, and each time a man. So again, it's usually a man, and, except and for the rubber Janet snake. The Don't forget the rubber snake. And oh my god, the terrible <laughs> rubber snake. Who, by the way, Ludo like smacks with the branch. Ludo. It's very clearly not in that coverage. Ludo. Ludo. Ludo is Ludo is the guy. The thing from Labyrinth. Oh shit! Oh, yeah. You're right. Oh god. Yeah. Anyway, um, so there, there's a there's a alligator and then a um a a, snake a, a and octopus. an octopus, and both times, both times they're getting like close to this monster. They pull out these guns and they fire forty five <laughs> shots from these guns. They're literally like shoot 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 shoot. Turn to oct turn to octopus. Turn back to guy. Shoot 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 shoot. And they're like clearly like six loaders from the fifties. And these guys are just fucking. Firing rounds of Lodo, shots. Apparently yeah. not. How many a gunshots does Lodo so take? Ridiculous. St- at point blank. <laughs> <laughs> this guy gets shot so many times. He takes yeah. that point blank range. Also, Bella Lugosi turns on him so fast. Bella Lugosi immediately. He's like, Lodo, what are you doing? <laughs> like uh, within a second. So it's all about the monster. Like the thing I will give this credit for is that they keep talking about the monster, and at first you think it's the Frankenstein monster, so then you realize halfway through, or not halfway through, you realize pretty quickly it's this giant octopus that's killing people. And then at the end of the movie, uh, or throughout the movie, you realize Bill Lugosi is actually trying to make monsters for soldiers and stuff. So at the end of this movie, the twist is that Lodo rescues the girl from being transformed into the monster and he puts Bella Lugosi in there and Bella Lugosi becomes the monster. And to Very show that he horror, has become yeah. the monster, <laughs> Bella Lugosi jumps off of the, the, the table he's lying on after the procedure and he has giant platform shoes on so that he's yeah. taller than Lodo, like foot high platform boots. I thought that was fucking ridiculous. At the very end of this movie, I think my favorite shitty filmmaking technique in this whole movie is at the very end. Yeah, I'll drink. At the very end of this movie, we've heard the word atomic like six or seven times throughout this movie. So we know something serious is happening with atomic energy. A lightning strike. There's a storm that never ceases over this mansion, by the way. It never goes away. It's always thunderstorming. There is a lightning strike that strikes Bella Lugosi. And the monster, the octopus at the very end. And you see them catch on fire. Like, it's not an explosion. They just catch on fire. And then it cuts away to the people looking at it. And it cuts back. And they use stock footage of an atomic bomb explosion. Pelagosi's <laughs> 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 death is a mushroom cloud. Dude, you, if, you mushroom try, if you tried to if you tried to make this movie today, you'd never be able to afford the stock footage budget. My- All the stock footage was incredible. But my, I, I watched this in the house on the main TV, and my brother saw maybe four minutes of this. And all he said, the only words he spoke were, now we got snakes. Lots of divergent plot points here. <laughs> now we got snakes. I just want to say, like, we've, we've given a lot of shit. There's, uh, I, but I do want to say, whoever did the colorization of this was spot on. 
phenomenal. Whoever recolored like colored it afterwards it, because it was I shot it in black and white. It was shot in black and white, but like and yeah, when I watched it, I watched the colored version. They they colored it. Me too. And uh, so yeah, whoever did that did a fantastic job. However, and I know we like to introduce these little drinking games for people who are watching them. So your drinking game for this week is if you can't understand what they're saying. Neither could the person doing the subtitles drink every time you yes, see the word yes, indistinct. I watch the subtitles too. Every time Me you too. see the word indistinct pop up. That's the yeah. This no, movie opens drink every viewers. time. A, drink every time a person just has a fucking parrot on their shoulder and they don't mention it. What the fuck is the up with the bird? Unbelievable. Yeah. The guy had a bird on his shoulder. The captain. The, the acting is awful. I don't even blame the actors because I don't know what. I don't think they knew what they were doing within each scene. I don't think they knew what it was supposed to feel like. The cutting together of like that and that. The police yeah. captain is a perfect example. That that nothing makes sense whenever they are inside the police department. But to you, Dave, what you're talking about. It happens early on, folks. This movie opens with two hunters that are lost in a rainstorm around this mansion in this swamp. I'm not kidding. You can't understand a single line of dialogue that comes out of their mouth. I could not understand like, what was su- happening. The, in the subtitles literally say indistinct. It's like, indistinct. Even, <laughs> even the person making them cannot understand what the fuck they're saying. And, and the rain say, is so ridiculous. It's like they, the ra- ups, uh, they upsided a bucket of water. Like, I mean, it's, it's so awesome. the rain is intense. I will, I will give my my award for the week to the redemption movie goes to the people who die by octopus attack in this movie. Yeah. Give it they 150 percent, yeah. dude. This octopus, this giant octopus prop has one or two tentacles that are clearly being moved by wires. The rest yeah. is done by the actors. They're rolling yeah. around in the tentacles, screaming their heads yeah. off. <laughs> and it is fucking hilarious. I just, so yeah. there are moments like that where you do like, you laugh and you have fun and you think this is ridiculous and it's harmless. It's an hour and eight minutes. I mean, oh. also just we should touch on cinematography. If you love super smooth panning shots, this movie is not for you. Not for you. <laughs> <laughs> If you love a wide map, they literally, they were like, there was one camera angle in his laboratory. Yeah, ex- except for when he's sitting angle. on the, what about when he's sitting on the bed with her? I'm like, would it kill you to do a fucking answering shot? I spent two minutes looking at the back of Lugosi's head. <laughs> and then it cuts in for no reason at all. Yeah, I to mean, his I understand eyes. why they were yeah. doing it. The very affected close-up of the eyes. And then I was like, okay, that's cool. And then they, they do that classic horror movie technique where they darken everything around him. Mm. But the light yeah. doesn't change in the room. <laughs> When it cuts out to the white coverage, all right, nothing but, has changed at okay, all. Okay, so then we get about, oh, I want to say two thirds of the way through, and one of his colleagues has shown up, and it gets a little gets a little touchy because his colleague's shown up from the old country, and suddenly someone <laughs> drops the words "master race," and yeah, I'm, master I'm, race like, is I'm like, whoa, hang on, someone just said "master race," and thirty seconds later, no, it's okay, he's dead. The octopus beanbag got him. Also, <laughs> also it was a scientist <laughs> with a German accent. Another. <laughs> Another Rocky Horror reference for sure. He really um, even oh resembled Dr. Scott. Yeah, Dave. he's very Dr. Scott-esque. Oh, you've just killed me. I have to own an octo- that octopus beanbag. That is my <laughs> yeah. number one goal in life. Wait, is to wait, get that right now. Prop. Stuff it with right, balls. <laughs> right now on Netflix, one of the things which, which we had way too much fun watching the trailer of this weekend is called My Teacher the Octopus or My Octopus Teacher. Oh, and it's oh, about yeah, a guy yeah. who basically is having a midlife crisis. So he just like goes in the water every day and snorkels with the fucking octopus. <laughs> and it's like, about. we're watching this. I, we watched this for two and a half minutes multiple times. And we were like, he's, I'm worried about this. This octopus is not safe with this guy. 
He's gonna get. No. He's, it's anyway. All so right. then we watched this movie with the giant stuffed animal out. It was perfect. perfect. What but did you guys think, think about? Go, go, Dave. No, no, go, you, go. you go. I'll go. This is. What this. did you think about? Out of again, out of nowhere, for for no reason at all. This is a scientist who who up until this point has at least been pretending to be a scientist, and then. Yeah. He starts manipulating the woman with with his hands, and like, like the, he's this a is the exact note of hypnosis. It's, it's like, wait, I'm gonna summon my bride with interpretive dance. I mean, the particular choreography of the hands was incredible. Because there's a moment earlier, viewers, where he basically says, "You're feeling sleepy," and he like hypnotizes her, and I was like, yeah. whatever. And he like raises his hand in such a way that you're like, okay, I guess. I guess His she was Dracula drugged or fingers. something. And then when he summons her, you, y'all, if you, if you just look up on YouTube, folks. Just look up on Bela Lugosi summoning the bride with his hands. The particular movement he does is just, it came out of absolutely yeah, nowhere. Thing. There was no justification for it. Oh, my God. And also, just, yeah. they cut to his eyes, and his eyes are making a, a, a look that nobody's ever seen before. Like, Bela Lugosi <laughs> didn't know. Like, like. <laughs> Bella goes. He was doing like the hand thing, and yeah. it was like you're asleep, you're asleep, and then it cut to his eyes, and it looked like he was sawing off a leg of a yeah. living person. It it's, was like it's, also, it's like okay, so what we're gonna, what we're gonna do is we're gonna get a close up of him, and when he's looking at the camera, I'm gonna sneak up behind him and jam my thumb right up his butthole. That'll do it. I was the most <laughs> Australian. Wait, that was the most that was the most Australian sounding thing you've ever fucking said in that's, your life. That's, I don't know not, what that's not my gag. That's a South Park gag. But yeah, having a fight. Yeah. Did anybody watch the pandemic special? Let's stop talking about this movie. Did anybody watch the pandemic special? The South Park pandemic special. Oh, wow. Talk about the movie, John. Uh, anyway, yeah. Buzz, you're right. Buzz, you're buzz. right, anyway. Peter. You're right, Peter. That was Natalie Wood. Oh my god. Um, there were so many things that again, I, 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 I challenge you. I challenge you to get a drink. And sit down, smoke your split, whatever you want to do. You sit down and you fucking laugh at this movie because it is you laughable. Haven't you wanted to see a Bella Lagosa movie? Before I mean, you died? We, we've you already like, yes, but I want to see what now. I want to see one of the good ones yeah. again because I I need to redeem his. You know, because he has a quality. His I understand career? why they used him so oh, much. He was great. I mean, this yeah. is this is this is like we made a reference to Tommy Wiseau earlier. Like, this is the kind of movie you can have a group of friends around with and just yeah. piss yourself laughing at how bad it fucking yeah. is. <laughs> I mean, it, that people. is all I was thinking about was like, because as we referenced at the very beginning of this episode with Edward having the, he is much more famous now than he was when he was making movies because of this, this lore that he had. And eventually Tim Burton made a movie about him starring Johnny Depp in the mid nineties. So we know him more than probably he was known at the time. So another fun thing that I kept thinking about when I was watching this was like, he knows all those actors, like every single one of those people in his movie were like him were like on the fringe of Hollywood. Like no one respected them. No one thought they were great at what they did. And they just got together and they made these movies and they made a little money. And it was, so I don't know. I just, I thought, again, I feel like this movie is totally harmless. It's yeah. worth watching. I mean, it's entertaining. Just, it's, just it's not fun for, and it's silly. Yeah, it's entertaining. Just not for the reasons they thought it was going to be entertaining. Yeah, They don't know. They don't know that it's bad. So you do feel a little guilty because you're laughing at it. You're not yeah. laughing with them, but it's still it's still harmless. I still think you should give it a shot. What other what other standouts that were just awful to you guys? Any other terrible moments or acting or lines or there were so I, many. I, every no, second was, of the acting. It was it was consistent. Every fucking second of the acting. Why did that guy get trapped in the swamp and the alligator came out? What did that do for the story? 
<laughs> the There's a moment in the middle of this where this like, guy steps in a sinkhole. Hey guys, and he like yeah. starts sinking. Also, I got some also stock the director. Fo- I got some stock footage the, of alligators. Where can we use this? The, the director. <laughs> the director has to say, "Look, here's where you point the gun. Let me point it. Yeah, that's exactly where you're aiming." This guy didn't know where he was aiming this gun. It was a it was a Looney Tune sketch. He was shooting at and, this alligator as if he was reason, fucking Yosemite Sam. The reason we know the director has to say that is because of this film. <laughs> yeah, it's just like honestly. Psh- just gunshots just going anywhere into the woods. That was that whole sequence with the alligator with is my, that is my last, favorite part. That last sequence, the the screen shifting, the screen movement basically of the choreography of what the characters are doing as they move through the swamp in this final sequence where they're chasing down the monster. I yeah. could not follow it at all. I had yeah. no idea what direction anyone was actually moving in in within the swamp. And you were obviously supposed to know. There's, then, a scene, yeah. there's a moment at the end where they they have this big climax where one of the humans, who's still a human, pushes this giant boulder over Bela Lugosi, and it's supposed to knock him into the swamp. You clearly oh, yeah. see it just knock him down. And roll <laughs> over him. And roll. That and actor roll rolled him. his ass into the swamp. He was like, oh, shit, I got to get in the swamp. And he just rolled his ass into the swamp. And then, but then it just cuts immediately to Bela Lugosi in the swamp. It's like you saw him not go in the swamp. <laughs> yeah, just, the editing was not God. great. Editing wasn't great. God, they just don't care. I he almost got to just raise my hand. That editor, that editor got this footage and Cheers. went, what? He went, hold, come on. He got this footage and he went, what do you want me to do with this? What editor? Yeah. <laughs> what editor? <laughs> All right, people. All right. Go watch this movie. Turn it into a drinking game. I think it's fucking fun. If you're doing a production of Rocky Horror and you're hanging out with the cast and you want to watch something stupid, watch this movie. Everybody oh, else, yeah. I don't know what to tell you. It's a great Ed <laughs> Wood very, movie. I'm so glad this was my niche. first Ed Wood. This is my first Ed Wood ever, Ed and it Wood. totally right. lived up to it. Next week, we're talking about films from two. 2012 people we're going to talk about films from 2012 the mayan apocalypse we thought that was the mayan apocalypse (laughs) we were wrong it's 2020 (laughs) yeah they were a little late (laughs) they rocked Um, up this year and went sorry guys uh we're here so so we're going to talk about three fucking awesome films that dave is going to tell you all about right now you've forgotten again haven't you (laughs) no i remember i'm gonna mess them up i'm gonna mess them up all right so we're gonna do looper yeah uh, and we're going to do The Place Beyond the Pines, and Ooh. we're going to finish it off with the uh, the one that's still having discussions about it on the internet today, Prometheus. Ooh, yeah, is baby. that sort of related to Alien because it's the same director and apparently the same mythology? Well, I don't know. What do you think? I mean, it's as and- related to Aliens as Raised by Wolves is. <laughs> and all three of these are on streaming. Do you remember which, which ones are on which? Off the top Place of your head? Beyond the Pines is on Stars. Prometheus is on Max. Stars. No. no, HBO Max. HBO and Max. Loop, and Looper's on Stars. Yes. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Join us. Watch those fucking movies because we're going to talk about them. We're sick excited. What a fucking year. 1955. James Dean. Edward got me drunk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was People, a, that thank was a you so choice. much for being a part of one of our shortest episodes ever. I cannot wait to see. And Halloween is coming up, people. We are planning something halloween E for the actual day of Halloween. Anything else we want to spoil about that? No, it's going to be fun. We're going to do yeah. some kind of special. We haven't figured out the details yet, but it's yeah. happening. We want a spectacular of some galore. Mm. All right, may I'm have out. some Anybody guests. Else? We'll see what happens. No, that's it. Fucking guests. Hell yeah. <clears throat> All right. 
We are going to wrap this up. We will see you next week, film fans. Thanks for listening. You're our, you're our favorites. You're tearing me apart! You guys are drunk. Ha <laughs> ha